Hello, and welcome to the Serving Love Podcast. My name is Meredith, and I will be your humble host. Serving Love is an exploration around some of the paths to show up and live as love and to be of service to something greater than ourselves. We will dive deep into topics such as sacred sex, God, goddess, spirituality, and an array of modalities in the world of personal growth. I feel so honored to have the privilege to share with you here. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Serving Love Podcast. Today, we have Nalaya Chakana on. Hi. <laughs> welcome. Hey, thank you so much. Oh, I'm so happy to have you and to get to know you. Um, your husband, Ruan, uh, introduced us, and I was so excited. I actually had this moment where I was thinking, it was years ago, and he, we were like sitting, having lunch somewhere, and he was telling me how he was like, I am ready to like meet my person, and I want to be a dad. Like, I am yeah. meant to be a dad. I don't know yeah. how it's going to look, but it's happening. <laughs> mm. And now you have this gorgeous family and Mm -hmm. I'm just so excited to get to know you because I adore him. And I just knew that you'd be absolutely magical. (laughs) Whoever chooses would have to be. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I feel, I feel the same, like to, you know, uh, even though we've been together a couple of years, it's like, you know, to, to get to know the people that are part of our growth like we just spent a couple of weeks here in Peru and it, I guess it was also a window into my world for him, you know? And so connecting with you for me is also like understanding, I suppose, a bit of how he's shaped to become. So it's really beautiful to meet you. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Gosh, it feels like lifetimes ago. Everyone, <laughs> I felt like we were like little kids, you know? So <laughs> he's a man now. Like he has a baby mm-hmm. and a wife. It's so, so amazing. And so, yeah, I'm just so excited to get to know you a little better. So I'd love to, you know, hear an intro from you, like, you know, where you're from and what you're about and just to, to clue me in on that. And also people listening to Serving Love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I, I want to start by saying I really resonate with the title of your podcast because somehow I, yeah, I, I do feel like that is my path. And it, um, yeah, what can I say about myself? I guess the older we become, it the harder it becomes to kind of summarize it. Um, <laughs> yes. I suppose, well, I'm from the Netherlands originally, but I was raised in various countries. Mm-hmm. So I guess that that is really the point of where my exploration came from like mm. the the need for wanting a sense of belonging but also wanting to understand who I am mm. because if you're raised by parents from one culture but you're you grow up in other cultures you become this multicultural being right mm. and in a way it's a blessing in itself like I really am super grateful that this is how I was raised because it definitely made me the person I am However, in my late teens, it um, caused for a lot of the confusion because I, I never quite felt like I fit in. I, I always felt like I had to adapt. Mm-hmm. And that is what pushed me to go to India. It was simply like this intuitive insight that I can't even explain. But I, how old was I? I was 21, sold all my things, got a single ticket to India, knowing that somehow this super spiritual country was going to 
clear my path or help me heal or help me understand or what happened eventually is I found my path of purpose and that wasn't necessarily the intention the intention was simply to connect with God or the godly or the divine however you want to put it and um I ended up spending five years there so I didn't necessarily think that that was going to happen but I took a leap of faith and launched myself in this uh beautiful magical country had my ass kicked many times oh my gosh I'm sure India's (laughs) (laughs) you don't come from India when you drop into India you're like wow this is some beautiful chaos right here right And it's so particular because it's like the, you know, life and death are both very present and we can, we can see that in the physical, but also very much energetical. Like that's how it um, moves as usually. So um, what happened there is uh, I had to heal a lot regarding my womb. So I had issues with my menstrual cycle and that really allowed things to unfold. Um, I don't necessarily want to go too deep into it, but what I can say is, you know, the womb represents not just our connection to ancestry, which was a huge deal for me, but also, you know, blockages and traumas related to the feminine. And even though I considered myself to be very feminine, it that was the moment where I understood, like, actually, I wasn't at all. You know, you can grow your hair and wear long dresses, but that doesn't mean that you're connected to your femininity. And I think that that really kickstarted my path, like the fact that I had to heal and go so deep into my own femininity. I started producing menstrual cups, hosting women's circles, and that's kind of where it started. But of course, India also allowed me to go deeper into sexual healing. Um, I met a bunch of, not a bunch, uh, very particular uh, tantric masters who I studied with. And then somehow the medicine path started to open up. And eventually that's what led me to go to Peru. So I actually drank plant medicine for the first time in India. And after... I think it was already four years. I understood like, okay, something is coming full circle here. Um, It's almost like I went through various initiations in India that allowed me to have certain clarity and and especially my connection to the invisible, to the spiritual, but I needed grounding. I needed to like come to earth. Mm. And that's why I was so attracted to shamanism because it's, you know, meeting the godly in the elements or through the elements or through the present. And that's definitely missing in India, just looking at the way that they would treat the most sacred river they have, no? Uh, just as like an example. And so that's kind of what called me to come to Peru. And somehow I also had a cycle of five years here. And um, my work ended up, um, or even my name, uh, you know, Nalaya, Alaya coming from the Sanskrit. So it's a name that was given and the N is to honor my birth name. And the Chakana is one of the most sacred uh, symbols here in the Andes. And so even my name just represents like who I am, but also what I offer. And it's this combination of like the spiritual meets the earthly and and tantric practices meets shamanic uh, practices to help us ground and embody really, you know, certain things that we're moving through, because very often if we just stick to Tantra or spirituality, it becomes so, you know, intangible. Mm-hmm. And so I, I like to, to, yeah, to somehow bring it to the present and, and make it, um, how do you say this in English? Like digestible, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I love that. And it feels so, Interesting because that's, that's sort of like had my own path, but I also did all of this work and 
Tantra, orgasmic meditation and things that get you very high and you're like, woo, you know, and then I've just been starting to drop into learning shamanism and, and I'm on this path with this, uh, certain modality and, and it really does like the combination of the two, like grounding that in your body is so potent and powerful. And, um, it's like, it's, um, it's like, it grounds it in a way that allows all the Tantra and all the work that you've done before it to be even more powerful because mm. it's grounded and um, yeah, beautiful. I'm super excited to, to hear some more. <laughs> Thank you yeah. So I'd love to know, you know, um, I kind of just want to dive right in because I'm so curious about this. You have this amazing program that you're teaching and, and also just like witnessing you and Ruan and how you are, you know, in your relationship, like you found your soulmate, like this is incredible. And so I would love to just dive right in and like hear what, you know, you've been on this journey, right? And so what was the point where you were like, I'm ready to meet my partner and like what like transpired to get you to, to find that partner, Yeah, not an easy question. <laughs> yeah. like, how, how many hours are we recording? How many now? hours do we have? <laughs> yeah, you know, I I don't think my story is unique. I th- I think there's a lot of women um who feel the same, and mm-hmm. and usually it's also something that is hormonally triggered at the end of our twenties, for example. Like that's yes. probably the moment where I could really feel like, yes, I want to be a mother. Yes, I want to stop fucking around, and I've had enough of wasting my time in relationships that, you know, end up being really valuable on the one hand, because obviously we learn from them, but just is like, ah, why am I stuck in these patterns? And how is it that I end up dating a a different guy, but acting out, you know, certain things that I just want to get rid of. So I think that that frustration is present in in many women um, and men as well. I mean, Ruan has probably shared with you probably that conversation that you mentioned in the beginning of our interview was exactly him being at that point right of that I've had enough Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because sometimes we're unaware how certain narratives keep us hooked into uh, a a pattern repeating itself Mm -hmm. so the whole notion of why do patterns exist why what does it take to break those patterns um, that's kind of, I suppose, where my path directed me towards, because before that it was women's work. It was everything, fertility, menstrua- menstruation. Um, oh, hold on. I just need to, excuse me for this. I'm sure. on somebody else's computer. Okay. Um, what was I saying? You were talking about how you were looking at your menstruation and your pattern. Oh, right. Yeah. So I was doing a lot of different things for women. And there came a point where I felt like I'd, I'd met the end of that. Like I, I it, it was too broad. And I want to, wanted to specify, like, what is the focus of my work? And it was very much integrated with where I was at in life, where it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to be with my soulmate. And so how about I use the decade of all the work I've done with so many clients who, you know, relational work was always part of that, um, but to just focus 
And it was really interesting because I I was at this point kind of analyzing like, what is it that I've done and where is my specialty at and what, um, how would I, you know, redirect my path basically. And I noticed that the most incredible healing I'd seen took place in the ancestral work we had done. And so like really digging up the the roots and, and looking at, for example, certain traumas that are present in the ancestral lineage that our ancestors for whatever reason, didn't have the space or time or opportunity, even if they wanted to, to heal those patterns. And so in the shamanic work, that's something that's very present in every um, indigenous culture I've, I've, I've studied with. They will always go to the ancestry first. And so I started to integrate that in the realm of like, okay, you know, manifesting your partner, attracting this, that, all of it is lights and rainbows and sunshine and, and really magical and I'm sure yeah. that some people can just orgasm their way into attracting their soulmate but I, <laughs> exactly I've tried exactly. it <laughs> yeah and I bet you as well have have you know gone into these webinars of people claiming to I don't know what and I feel like a lot of it is a scam and I think that well you know, I don't want to be judgmental because I'm sure there's people who are authentic out there, but everything I've learned, I don't know if you've ever taken plant medicine, just the understanding of like we purge and then we get an inside, like it's physically happening in those plant medicine ceremonies. That to me stands uh, symbolic for how we approach uh, shamanism, right? It's like, you have to go into the darkness. You have to be willing to purge and you can see that it's as something nasty or you can see it as a sacrifice, Right. And so that purging is actually something that I believe has always been part of humanity, um, but we've lost that connection to clear the space before we allow the new to come in. Um, Because in every single ancient tradition, there's always been the connection to ritual, to offering, to prayer. And in these moments, there's uh, an alignment that happens like, okay, what's blocking me? What can I do in this moment? And so just that understanding that that once upon a time was present and now here we are kind of forgotten, but we have all these desires. And I don't know how many generations we've not done that. And here we are, this generation, though, who is so open to healing. I would say if if you haven't done any ancestral work, then that is really where you need to start because those are the roots. And I think particularly for me, you know, my story, what I shared in the beginning, having been raised all over the world, the whole ancestry has been quite difficult for me. And because it's been so difficult um, to connect or to clear or to understand, you know, how much of my heritage is in me, even though my cultural expression may not be 100% Dutch, like it's 100% in me, right? And I needed to make that connection in order to ground, to root. And me rooting here in Peru back then, that commitment that I made for myself to this place, to this home, um, was almost like a reflection of the work that I had done to be able to establish that, but also as a reflection to say to the universe, like, I am committed, you know, and therefore it did create a particular space for Ruwan to arrive because had I continued to travel and travel and travel as I did mm. all those years prior, I I, I think it, it just wouldn't have worked out. and And maybe... You know, some people listening to this can relate and some people may not be able to relate. But while I was in that process of rooting and doing all the integration work and redirecting my path of purpose and therefore interacting more and more and more with people who were exactly at that point where I was at, 
I guess there was also a reflection that happened, no? Because they weren't just my students, they were also my teachers. And I think that that is the beauty of, of coming together and first of all, admitting, like, I really want to settle down with someone because sometimes there's like even layers of shame connected to it, which often we're not aware of because what I've seen is like to pretend that that is not the most important thing in your life and to then eventually not, let's say, succeed in finding your soulmate or having a family, then at least you don't have to deal with some sense of failure. And I feel like some people avoid even making the attempt to avoid feeling like there could potentially be a failure at the end of the road, if you know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. So like when I look at patterns and narratives, it, it's it's really in the nuance. No, it's really in the mm -hmm. peripheral. So the people I like working with have done a lot of work on themselves. And it's really like, where's that blind spot that you are so intelligent, so clever that you've managed to create something that you're able to hide from yourself. And, and that's kind of what I like mm -hmm. navigating. We get sneaky after a while when we've done a lot of work. And I understand that that point exactly because you can even be so smart and aware enough to be like, oh, there's something I'm missing. And you're like chasing your tail. Like, I know it's there's there's a shadow here and I can't see it myself. And we do need help because we do get so clever at like, you know, covering up these ways and, you know, having these mechanisms to keep ourselves safe and and yeah, I love what you said about, um, you know, our, our ancestors being the heart of this. I think I see that there's, there's such a fear of death, right? And I think when we face like looking at our lineage and clearing it, like we come face to face with, with so much death and shadow and like things that are, you know, scary and feel dark and, um, but it's so necessary. Otherwise, we're just piling, you know, stuff on top of stuff, right? It's like, can't ever get to the bottom of it. So yeah, it's exciting that you're doing this work because it's so necessary to... Well, I could give you more of a tangible example. Like yes. there's a client I worked with, uh, just to kind of clarify, like what are shadows in ancestry? Yes. There's a client I worked with, um, she got pregnant by... I don't know, I guess a person, people would call him a narcissist or, you know, someone who likes to be in control. So it was a very difficult situation for her because in the beginning they were in love, but her pregnancy ended up being very difficult. They tried to reconnect afterwards and it kind of just unfolded in more and more drama. And I asked her about her parents and they were, I mean, her parents are incredible. They're super supportive, a beautiful couple. Um, yeah, just like a very committed um, example mm -hmm. and then I asked her about her grandparents and it was like the moment I asked her that question it was like click mm -hmm. and sometimes these kind of traumas skip a generation mm -hmm. and it's even something that I've seen within my own family where um, you know whatever happened in the lives of my grandparents there's usually this like secretive aspect to it mm -hmm. and it's like okay let's shove it under the carpet I mean, my grandparents were born right before the Second World War. So, of course, once they surpassed the Second World War, it's kind of like those kind of traumas. You don't really want to, you know, resurface or talk about. And back then it was like, OK, life is is coming back to its um, or like we can live life again. Let's put it like that. Mm -hmm. And so there's no space for that. And unintegrated traumas will often cause for difficulty in relationships. Right. Or, um, you know, men being angry because there's a, a place within them that was hurt during the war in, in whatever way. I mean, you can fill in the blanks. 
Um, but then the way that the women are treated or had to deal with, because, you know, divorce wasn't that common back then. It's like, yeah, the family knew, but it's not something that they're going to pass on to their grandchildren in the stories that they tell about their mm. childhood, you know? Yeah. And I think that that is something very common and very often we can't actually get to the bottom of it, but it's something that is sensed or felt. Um, but what I've seen in like ancestral clearing is that these stories will come in a magical way. It can be an aunt that you never talk to, or, you know, suddenly your mother opens up about something surprising. So it's, it's really interesting to see, like, how can we integrate things that have been kind of lost or forgotten, but yet are influencing where we're at. So it can be men that are narcissistic, but it can also be the pattern of always being left, for example. Mm. Um, I mean, I know that the mother of my grandmother, um, was left by the original father, like the biological father of my grandmother. We actually don't know who he is. So, you know, it was all kind of like hush hush because back then, you know, a woman pregnant without a man was, is, was kind of a big deal in the twenties. Yes. And so later she found a man had more babies and my grandmother kind of got integrated into that family. And so it's these kind of things that, you know, generations later, we can still have this fear of like, what if I'm left? Um, we don't even know why that fear is there. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm getting at? And, and this mm-hmm. is how certain patterns are are created. But I'm, I'm curious because I would love for this to be a little bit of a, a dialogue. Like yeah. if you were to mention one uh, pattern, either if you're comfortable sharing with me, like what sure. is one major pattern in your life or something that you see in sisters? Because I do feel like, you know, us women who are like independent, you know, we travel, we explore, we do all these things. We have our path of purpose. It's a very distinct type of archetype, right? That we are. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and so I would love to hear what your reflection is of like certain patterns that played out. Yeah, sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah, I'll speak to my own. I have no shame in letting people hear it. Um, let's see. Um, yeah, definitely have attracted narcissists. <laughs> or, yeah, uh some men that actually like feel dangerous has been a pattern Mm -hmm. in my lifetime where, you know, they start start out very charismatic and sweet and, Mm -hmm. and I kind of like start to open and and melt and I'm like, Oh, there's safety here, you know, but not seeing it from, from day one, like, like I'll be, I like have wanted love so much that I'll ignore the red flags. Right. Because, you know, they're spiritual, they're on a path, and and especially a lot of us women on this path, like, we are looking for men who can meet us. Like, we want to feel like we can meet a partner who is on a spiritual path so we can walk it together because it's kind of, you know, so, so yeah, so it feels like the pool, the pool sometimes feels smaller. And so I would choose these men and then it would just, you know, then we would, like, get in really deep and then all of a sudden – there's triangulation, there's, you know, uh, they're like pitting me against another woman. There's, um, you know, telling me one thing, but then gaslighting about another. And so, um, that's been my work is to like, really like slow down and be like, oh no, like I am no longer available for that pattern, but that's been a really big one, um, for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and the difficulty of those kind of experiences is that then kind of the heart wants to shut down and say like, okay, I'm not, like you say, I'm not available for this, but the energy of protection 
often protects us against everything, not just oh, what yes. we don't want. <laughs> and it's like this like loop, right? It's like, how do uh-huh. we, so one thing that I, I very much um, dive into with my clients is like this differentiation between protection and security, mm-hmm. because essentially it's like, okay, how can we not use the confidence? Cause you seem like a very confident woman, um, I mean, I can speak for myself. My confidence has been my protection in the past. And it took me to be in a relationship with Ruan to actually acknowledge that where, you know, it's kind of like I carried myself with a particular attitude because I had no space or time to fuck around or (laughs) for people to fuck around with me. And in a way, I'm happy that I carried myself like this. Um, But at the same time, I know that it has been a shield and so what I what often happens is like either we end up in that shield and then when they're when we're in that shield too long, we're like, ah, oh, okay, I'm gonna trust, you know? And then the shield disappears. And in a way, energetically speaking, even though that confidence may be the same way, there's an opening, right? For just anyone to walk in. And that's how pe- patterns often repeat. Whereas if we kind of start to experiment with like, okay, what is the difference between standing in security versus standing in protection? And it's it's really something in the subtle, right? Like it's, mm. a, it's a slight different position, even though the attitude in a way is the same. Like you're still saying, I don't fuck around, <laughs> but it's carried in a different way where there is an openness, but also I suppose an integrated awareness of like, um, I know what my heart wants. I'm going to honor that. And I'm going to trust in my intuition. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I guess I'm just thinking like, what is one tip that I can give? Uh, somehow the thing that comes to my mind is to uh, keep sex out of the equation for as long as possible. Ooh, um, yep. <laughs> difficult. Very difficult. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, conscious celibacy, it's, it's really interesting because if you, uh, Ruan and I had already met, we met briefly here in Peru, this like in, in the beginning of 2017, end of 2016, we got introduced by a mutual friend um, and it was professional connection. We did a, a video for his YouTube channel and that was it. And afterwards we we kept in contact um, promoting each other's work and so on, but we never reached a level of... Uh, personal connection mm-hmm. and then during the pandemic the reason he, he he wanted to interview me for his podcast is on the subject of of conscious celibacy and so I was integrating that into my work but also practicing it myself I mean in my early 20s I also dated a narcissist and that's really where that practice initiated from and and I that's why I ended up on my tantric path actually mm-hmm. um not the over sexual neo tantra type of world but more integrating um the connection to the tantric life force energy as a way to heal so i went really deep into solo practices back then uh, to almost like clear out energies and so when i say celibacy it doesn't mean like refrain from any sexual connection but it's really that promise to yourself to say okay this is a period for me i'm going to do xyz tantric practices daily or weekly or however you want to see it and stick to one intention and just work with that, work with that and meet the edge of discomfort, right? Because what often happens is we we open up greatly and we become very attractive. And so to keep committed to that intention and not be distracted by the temptation that will come to us in those mm-hmm. moments. And what I've seen is 
that when we start dating with that commitment to ourselves, um, it, it allows us to see certain red flags or even hunches of those red flags because they, they won't come up like bright red all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's more like a little peek here, a little peek there. Or a feeling. And, or a feeling <laughs> or an intuitive insight that is too easy to ignore when we're turned on. And mm-hmm. I think especially as women know, like we receive the person inside our body and that makes us quite vulnerable because even just speaking from a biological perspective, it's like there is that hunger for procreation. And if the biolo- if there is a biological match, the mind can so easily be blurred. And it's simply oh, yes. because of our instinctual primal aspect that just wants to procreate. It's as simple as that. And so when we take that out of the equation, anyway, I'm, I'm kind of like weaving different stories into each other. I love but, it. <laughs> but this is, this is basically the topic, how Ruan and I ended up connecting more deeply during the pandemic and which led to us breaking the ice and admitting that we've both been attracted to each other all along. And it's really interesting because that interview specifically on this topic made me also realize that he's in the exact same place as I am, you know, like don't want to fuck around anymore. Don't want to have lovers that I can't go emotionally deep with. And also just recognizing like, you know, we were in the be- in the beginning of our thirties, just this like acknowledgement of like, yeah, if we want to have a family, this is it. But it's really interesting because you know, when you meet your person, everything just clicks and everything just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And it's not something that, you know, you feel like, oh, it's hard work and I have to do this in order for him to do that. And if only we do X, Y, Z, then we can reach that potential that is so clear for both of us. And this is a trap that I see I was stuck in. And I see a lot Mm -hmm. of people get stuck in where it almost becomes this like jigsaw puzzle Or we fall in love with the potential and everything is hard work, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that in itself can be this level of addiction to the intensity or wanting to figure it out or, you know, (laughs) wanting to learn or I don't know. But if that is at the heart of the relationship, I just don't believe it should be like that. I believe there should be a sense of ease. And when I look at Ruan and I, it's like the thing that I always highlight is that we have the capacity to move through difficulty with ease because we've definitely been challenged. Um, yeah, greatly. I think as new parents, everyone gets challenged greatly. But And it's not about, you know, the, the discomfort or the fatigue or the misunderstanding. It's really like, how do we navigate that? Because I think the best couples fight. And I think that's really very healthy because it allows us to navigate deeper realms together and it allows us to understand things about each other but also to upgrade and move beyond Mm. but if you get stuck in fights or the fights are disrespectful or mean or manipulative or it's all about the you know uncovering and growing and growing and growing and that in itself is like the intensity that that is like the glue that keeps you together I I don't feel that's true I don't feel that that's true love I don't feel Mm. that relationships should be like that and so you know, people listening to this who may not be aware of what is my pattern or what is the red flag I should be looking for. I think that that sense that I'm trying to describe is already a red flag in itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. I love, I love hearing you speak to all of this because like exactly what you're speaking to has been coming up for me. And I'm at that point where it's just like, oh yeah, no, I know in my bones that that kind of like tussle, that addiction to high sensation is not it. Like that, that can't be it any longer. 
And yeah, this idea of conscious celibacy is like so beautiful. I was actually just thinking about that the other day of like, no, I, I don't, I don't want anything that doesn't feel like it can't be like deeply loving, connected intimacy. Like I don't want that inside of me anymore. It's so vulnerable as women to receive and yeah, speaking to that, um, that like shield that we put up, it's like, that's the thing that's had me be able to have lovers and sex and, you know, just, you know, and then that starts to melt and you're like, no, I I don't want that inside of my body anymore. So Mm. yeah, it's so beautiful listening to you speak to that. It feels, um, it feels like a sacred time to be, to be feeling that clearing. Mm -hmm. Yay. Amazing. (laughs) So tell us a little bit more about like your program and what that looks like. And even if you can give us a little snippet into like what a, what a, you know, like a, a practice might look like, or just yeah, a sure. deeper dive into that. Like I want to hear, and I know everybody listening wants to hear too. <laughs> yeah. There's actually already one, one thing I wanted to highlight, but l- let me just share this, the structure. Yes. One sort of tip. Um, yeah. So the, the structure is the first week's, the first three weeks are the weeks of darkness. Uh, mm-hmm. So that's all about, you know, shamanic integration, fire ritual, ancestral work, um, letting go of not necessarily ex-partners, but the patterns that played out in those relationships, mm-hmm. because they can often be just so impactful that it requires us to reach a particular maturity to let go of, of nuances. I mean, there's things that I uncovered while Ruan and I were falling in love that I completely ignored um anyway I'll, I'll tell that story in a moment uh so <laughs> like, there, there's that <laughs> tell me everything <laughs> I'll tell you that one too okay, yeah. okay. I have too many stories <laughs> okay. so, so yeah the, the first three weeks is all about shadow work digging out the the weeds and basically like preparing the earth and then you know the latter three weeks are the weeks of light and those are focused on you know how to stand in that security, how to trust, how to use tantric practices and orgasmic practices to um, receive. Because again, I feel like there's a, not a misconception, uh, but often I feel like when we talk about manifestation, it's this penetrative energy. Mm. It's like, I have an idea and I'm going to penetrate the universe with my orgasm or with my vision and I'm waiting for it to come. And I believe that, of course, we have the masculine feminine energy within us, regardless of our gender. But as women, our bodies are designed in a particular way. And that's why I've chosen to offer Dare to Love, because in the past I taught it for men and women both. Um, but I want to teach it just for women, because I do feel like this archetype that many of us carry, of like the strong independent woman mm-hmm. who's an entrepreneur, who travels the world, who can take care of herself but who longs to be with a freaking masculine man. And, you know, it's like, (laughs) I think that that is going to make it just so much juicier. But then also this aspect of like, our bodies are designed in a particular way. And I can only come from my own experience. So there's only so much I can teach a man. Um, Because many men have reached out to me saying like, they want to do my program. But I feel like, actually, I do honestly believe like there's something that you as a man need to, to get from another man. Because if that in itself is a barrier, then that in itself can be uh, a shadow, right? Not to say that women can't teach men and vice versa, Mm -hmm. but specifically around this topic, I feel like I I just feel quite strongly about it now. 
Um, so anyway, we have yonis, right? And we receive. And I think as strong, independent women, we do have the tendency to guide, to direct, to know what we want, to know where to go and how to do it. And so this program has been designed in a way to, to get to that final place that is in receptivity. And that receptivity, I mean, you know it from lovemaking. It's like the more we trust the person we're making love with, the softer our, our yonis become and therefore the more pleasure we can receive. And I don't know if you've ever had an experience like this where, for example, you start making love with your partner and the sensation's not really there and you kind of want to guide the situation so that, you know, it becomes more orgasmic. Mm -hmm. But actually in those moments, what we should be doing is accept, I mean, yeah, obviously you you with the own practice know all about this. (laughs) (laughs) Accept what is there. And then while getting off on, on, the, the not having exactly what you want, you enter that state of receptivity, right? And so through these tantric practices, it's kind of like how to soften, to still be connected to your goal, let's say, but to have the willingness to let it all go. Hmm. And that is something that we can't trick, right? Like you, you can't pretend to be in that space. Like you're either in it or you're not. Mm-hmm. Like like just to give an example, right before the one and I got together, it was the pandemic. Uh, everything was locked down. I was at the peak of life in a way, like my friendships were flourishing. My business was flourishing. Um, I had, my health was great. Like everything was just like at its peak, mm-hmm. but I didn't have my man. And something in my intuition said, my man is not here in this valley. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I asked the universe for a lover. A lover came along. We had a great time. But it was also a reminder, I guess, of like, okay, I don't actually want to have a great time anymore. <laughs> I, want, I, I want it all, you yeah. know? So anyway, this person left. And uh, when he left, um, all on good terms, but I was kind of relieved. And I said to the universe, you know what? I've prayed for what I want long enough. Like, I think it's clear. So I don't have to keep putting my attention on it. And being in the pandemic, being in the lockdown, it just felt like, you know what, I'm going to do my tantric practices and I'm going to pump all my creative life force energy into my business and just have fun with my friends because actually I have zero complaints. And it was the first time I could really recognize that that truthful state of letting go, Mm. because I, I think often we we can convince ourselves that we're really letting go when we're really not. (laughs) <laughs> and so it was only it was literally two days later that he he that Ruan asked me to be a guest on his podcast and it's that podcast that allowed everything to unfold so it's it's really fascinating because I was really like you know what if, it, if this pandemic is going to take years so be it because I'm just not going to fuck around anymore and really I meant it and it's yeah so it's it's like this tricky space like yeah we can talk about it and understand it but how to actually get there i would say like that's what my program is designed for mm, really get to that space of truly fully letting go mm. oh and that's one thing i wanted to share thanks yeah. for reminding me <laughs> Because I I heard you say, um, you know, you're on your path, you've done so much in the work. So of course you want a man who is similar to that because you just want, um, yeah, you want that flow, right? And Mm -hmm. you want to feel understood. And um, what I also integrated for myself was the the releasing of of any control, 
regarding who this man is meant to be. Because in the past, I've made my lists, I've made my rituals and so on. So part of the course is actually like, if you have a list, burn it. Because Mm. that in a way is, again, that penetrative energy of like, I decide and I know what I need in order to be whole. And what I did was kind of like entered the space of like, okay, I've dated a medicine man, I've dated a tantric master, I've dated a psychologist, I've dated, you know, (laughs) but somehow it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. So how about I am open to whatever the universe thinks is meant for me. And it's this open space of like, what is that feeling that I want to feel? And the feeling that for me resonated the most was laughter um, and that sense of being home. So it's like, you know, because when we laugh, we really reveal ourselves. And when we can connect through humor mm-hmm. and laugh at ourselves and laugh at our situation, it makes everything more easeful. And it's kind of interesting because um, I obviously had to make a pilgrimage during lockdown from Peru to Thailand, which was very difficult. It took us a couple of months. But those months allowed us to not have sex blind us, um, but also allowed us to get to know each other better. Um Ah, shit. What was the point that I was, I was trying to make? Um, oh, I lost my trail of thought. What was I saying? <laughs> Maybe we peaked. <laughs> no, you're yeah. talking about um, letting go of the, the list. And all oh, right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I actually had no idea the one was this funny. <laughs> it's really interesting. So I had set my prayer to like want needing like laughter to be at the center of the relationship and I had no idea our humor would connect so much and I had no idea he was so hilarious so it's like very interesting how our lives ended up like entangled it really felt destined in in my experience Mm. um because that prayer was there and when I made that prayer of like how do I want to feel just a singular feeling um I said to myself, it can e- it can even be someone who's living in the matrix. It can even be an accountant. That's the example I gave myself. Like I this <laughs> boring work job, normal guy. And I said to myself, maybe that's what I need, you know, because I am so complex and worldly and <sighs> multicultural and I don't know what. And, and maybe I need a very normal guy. So I just kind of gave it into the hands of the universe and said, you know what? You decide. And it's really funny because by letting go all of these desires and wishes, I end up with a man who's exactly on my path. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. So it's like <laughs> this yeah, paradox. It's like we can paradox. know, we know the paradox is there, and yet it's still like, oh God, letting go. That is, yeah, so it's hard, hard work. It's so simple, but it's so hard to yeah, let go. Totally, and yeah, something that I've been noticing recently. Um, just like getting to the, like starting to really like peel back the layers of my own is like just how it, it can feel terrifying. Like, oh my God, actual true, like deep intimacy with a partner who's really fully available. Holy shit. You know? (laughs) So it's like, I can see where the holding on is like the thing, you know, like I'm scared, like, oh no, you know? So Well, I'm really happy you point that out, actually, because 
I didn't I didn't actually want to go into it, but I, I feel like now that you mention it, <laughs> no, <right> there's, <laughs> there's yeah, there's somewhat of an ego death that has to happen mm-hmm. because your identity right now is connected to the comfort. Right. And some of the comfort is uncomfortable and it's the comfort of dating and letting go and integrating and using those lessons further for your path of purpose or for your life or for whatever but somehow there's that comfort of like I know how the story goes but if you were to actually be with your soulmate it's it's a whole different story and there's a vulnerability there that is you know I think I mean I can speak for myself it was it was uh yeah I don't even know what words to use but ego shattering super confrontational and no idea I was going to be so faced with certain shadows I suppose of my own being that I thought I had already integrated Mm -hmm. but was able to hide from these deeper layers of those shadows because yeah like you say when you're met by a man who's there and the devotion is there and and you're doing it there's no hiding from yourself (laughs) because it's not even about him because he loved me throughout it all right and it was his love that was actually confronting because those were the parts that I myself didn't yet love And for me, as like a a very confident woman, like there's no way I would have ever admitted I had those insecurities ages ago, you know, Mm -hmm. but then yet I was confronted with parts of myself that I really didn't love. And I needed that love in order to encounter it. So I often feel like there must be something subconscious in the soul or the consciousness that knows or even the wisdom of the heart that knows the initiation you're going to go through. Mm-hmm. when you do find your partner and that in itself and and hopefully this this wisdom that you know we're talking about now is just going to crack something in the consciousness of some of your listeners to be like oh okay maybe that's why I'm you know and 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 maybe just send a prayer of like okay bring it on because we can never prepare for what that really requires and I think that's going to be very uh personal to you know the alchemy that takes place between the to people who come together and choose to be together. Uh, but yeah, an initiation is inevitable because it, it means all that you're comfortable with up until this point is going to die forever. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> I can feel it's like that. <laughs> it's like we're afraid of everything we want. It's so it's silly. So, it's like, why, you know? What? Why? <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, it's been so interesting. I have a good number of friends who have, you know, they've, they've called in their soulmates, right? And it's been so beautiful to watch those parts of them come up and die. It's like, um, I really see this like deep softening in them. Mm. It's like, you know, and it's so beautiful and I can feel myself envious of that. Like, oh gosh, like I want to be able, you know, I want to feel that, like that deep softening that can only really come from like the cracking open that happens when you meet these parts of yourself and you let them die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So the story I was about to share when I talked about the dark, uh, the weeks of darkness of Dare to Love. Yes. Um, so one of the uh, insights I had, I mean, so, okay. The one and I did this podcast. Um, I was still in Peru. He was in Thailand. It was word lockdown. I decided to repatriate to Holland. And in Holland, I tried to figure out, you know, how to get into Thailand. It was a whole journey. It it ended up being multiple months. 
And then once I got to Bangkok, I had 14 days in quarantine in this tiny oh hotel room without being able to leave. That was like the pilgrimage I had to make. But that entire time allowed us to navigate many things. And it almost felt like we, you know, because we're both, I mean, he would, he would never call himself an intimacy coach, but in a way he is. <laughs> and since we're, since we're both in that field, you know, it's, it's almost like we were able to receive the wisdom from each other and the guidance as well as um, be guided, right. And then be in that vulnerable position. And we did a lot of dream analysis. And it's interesting because through our dreams, we were integrating past lovers. And so, you know, there's only so much work that we can do alone. I feel like sometimes there's so something so healthy to recognizing the tiniest little triggers that come up in the beginning of a relationship and just being honest, right? And so one of the things that I was completely not aware of um, was one particular heartbreak that apparently after that heartbreak, I never allowed my heart to be as innocently open. Let's put it like that. Because I was quite young. Um, let's see how old I must have been. Um, let's see, I went to Montreal for him. So it, I must have been 20, between like 19 and 20. He, it was a guy from Montreal. We'd fallen in love and it was this like instant opening, an instant flow, an instant understanding. And every single day we spent together was full celebration. And um, I ended up, I, I was studying at university. I ended up finding a way to do part of my studies abroad so I ended up going to Montreal to give our relationship another shot right because he'd been an exchange student in Amsterdam and that's where we met and then I ended up going to Montreal and um it didn't work out and there was something it didn't work out because the moment he left Amsterdam to go back and pursue his studies in Montreal we were let's say separated beyond our will and it took me months to figure out how I was gonna you know during my studies be able to get there and it really kind of felt like Romeo and Juliet um, where there was this like forceful um, separation that had nothing to do with a, a wanting or the story coming to an end but but literally like this there's you know we were too young to to have freedom of choice and that heartbreak I guess, touched me in ways that no other heartbreak did for that reason. And I think by the time I got to Montreal, it didn't work out because both of us had experienced that pain, that intense pain of like, I want to move forward with you, but I don't know if it's going to work out. And, you know, and so we had already integrated that heartbreak, but we also stepped into protection. I mean, we were both very young, we were like 19, 20 um so that ended up not working out I, this is in a stage in my life that I was still partying and so on so I wasn't doing like my rituals of letting go <laughs> <laughs> and then while I had done many rituals for all kinds of partners that had a significant impact in my life I don't for some reason he never really came up and then with the one, something about a dream that came up made me recognize like, wow, I loved this young man. Because I mean, we were definitely like very young, you know, it's like this young, innocent sort of, you know, before you've had tremendous experiences, it's like wildly, innocently open and just like, let's go. Uh -huh. And since then, I had loved deeply, I'd loved greatly, but never with that sort of divine trust. 
And that epiphany came while I was making this pilgrimage to Thailand to be with Ruan. And, you know, similar for him, he was integrating aspects of different lovers from the past. And for me, that was one of the things I had to integrate. So when I speak of dare to love, you know, these are kind of like the steps, um, the practices that we do to uncover these blind spots or like, where is that experience that you've forgotten about or are not putting enough attention to because you were young or things didn't seem that important, but actually that one encounter has left a mark that since then you haven't dared to, to love <laughs> basically. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, yeah, we both clear things before we came together and, and, and I mean, the openness and the willingness and the devotion and the full trust has been there ever since. And that's not to say that we don't continue learning because I think in any long-term relationship, there will always, you will always reach that plateau, right? Of like, oh, you trust until here and now you have to break through that. You love until here and now you have to break through that. And those initiations will continue and continue. Mm -hmm. But yeah, just as like a preparation to get there, it's, yeah, it's really interesting what, uh, what can come up. And I personally feel like it's the stories that we bring together in this group journey that add because the practices are practices but it's the stories it's the reflection of seeing yourself in the other women as we journey together because in a way the way i've designed it it's just a bundle of stories you know my stories the stories of, of clients i've worked with patterns that i see are very common and i believe that once we journey together in these six weeks and it's the encouragement of like, tell your story, tell the thing that hurt, tell the thing that, you know, also caught you or or allowed you to trust more or whatever, whatever, whatever. It's like those stories are essentially what allows us to deepen and be witness in our process as well as uplift the other, no? which is really what sisterhood is about. So, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, we certainly need each other on this journey, mm. especially when it comes to, you know, finding love, calling in love. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm, beautiful. So, um, I'd love to also, you know, we're going to link everything to dare to love in the show notes. And I'd also love to hear like any other ways that you work with people too. Uh, I don't, there are. <laughs> this, is, this is the big, the big thing right now. <laughs> yeah because I became a mama and like in Mm -hmm. pregnancy I I chose that it I mean I was so open I was so sensitive that I just couldn't work with people Mm -hmm. and now I feel like there's a window because we do want a second child Mm. and so this is this is my window of like creative life force energy goes into this project and it it seems like I I don't know it might be a while um, before I offer it again uh, Ruan and I may experiment in North America with couples retreat, but that's a mm-hmm. whole different um, story. Um, but yeah, it's it's likely that this may be uh, the only thing for a while. Well, then get it, get in there now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's beautiful. And um, I just want to frame how I can feel. I can feel like the depth of this work, and I. I feel excited for whoever gets to experience this. Like, I love how you're combining, you know, shadow work and just like how important that is. And, and like, thank you for, for like seeing that that is the thing that gets missed because 
um, I do also see that it so often gets missed in this work. So I love that the first half of this is focused on that, you know, and mm-hmm. then going into the light from that place is like, wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's super beautiful to to connect and to meet with you. You really feel like a sister. It's like, yeah, oh, we could talk forever. I know. I, know. <laughs> I, I actually want to hear more of your stories. I know. <laughs> well, amazing. Cause I'd love to connect more. And actually it's just been so amazing watching this whole time. I don't know if you can see it in your screen, but you have this like angelic, like light coming out. No, seriously. It's like, you like rainbow. I'm going to take a picture and send it to you. Because no, no, no. It, it's, it's funny because is- there's like, I'm I'm not at home though. No? Like I'm at my friend's house, and uh, I actually um, what do you call it? I, I put up a uh, something to block because there's uh-huh. these uh, stickers. And had I not done it, it would have been like one big kaleidoscope. But somehow it's like only these like it's literally like these like angel wings coming out of me. I'm like, wow. I was trying to get it all away, but here we are. Well, it's perfect. I, I love an it. Angel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I'm just like, yeah, damn. This is <laughs> so good. Amazing. Well, I, I did my best to, to cover up my wings, but. I mean, like, gosh, yeah. you know, sometimes we just cannot help ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have you on my podcast as well. Yay! Let's, let's oh definitely gosh. plan for that. It would, um, it yes. would be lovely to, to hear more of you, you know? Yeah, to be continued yeah. for sure, for sure. So. I'm so grateful we had this time and so excited for your work. And we're going to link uh, the link to the um, program in the show notes and more about you and where people can find you. And you also write beautifully and I'm sure people will want to see. And um, thank, you. thank you so much for, you know, offering yourself in this way and, and being so, you know, upfront and honest and just like sharing yourself with myself and serving love listeners. Thank you so much, sister. Yay. Thank you. All right. Until next time, Serving Love, I love you all. Thank you for listening to Serving Love Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share with your friends. You can find me in social media as Meredith Lynn. Until next time, I wish you lots of love.